0: Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Those of you who are regularly a part of the church family here at First Naz, I one more time just want to offer you my thanks that you let me be one of your pastors, and I'm thankful to guests and First Naz family alike that you've gathered in this place today to worship God and to do that with us. We're here to worship, and we're here to learn, and we get to do that together as a family, and that is always uh, encouraging to my heart. When a person knows that he or she is about to speak their last words, they usually choose those words very carefully and make them count for something that really matters, I believe that was the case when Jesus gathered with his first followers and spoke to them immediately before ascending into heaven. This was it. This was the last time that they would speak face-to-face, Jesus and his followers, prior to his followers' death and their eventual reunion with him in heaven. Jesus knew it, and so the last words that he spoke to them were very important and considered Here's what he said Go make some more disciples for me, and always remember that I'll be with you while you do it. To be a Christian, then, is to join the church in its God given mission of making more disciples. To be a Christian isn't to go to church or to listen to teaching. To be a Christian, essentially so, is to join the church in its God given mission to make more disciples. If we don't know what a disciple is, however, it's pretty hard to make some of them, so uh, we'll uh, unpack that a little bit from time to time around here. It's what we've been doing over the last few weeks. A disciple is someone who connects with God and with other people, who very intentionally grows in their faith, and then serves in obedience to God, but also as a way of experiencing that full life that Jesus promised to all of his followers Over the past few weeks, we've learned how to establish a first connection with God and then how to strengthen your personal connection with God in your personal private time and also in a couple of public settings. If you want to learn more about that, firstnaz.com, media page. You can figure it out from there. But today, and again next Sunday, I want to talk about growing, intentionally so, in our faith. Did you know that God has a goal for you He has a goal for you, and it is that you would grow in your faith. Parents have goals for their kids. Kids know that, right? Mom and dad constantly push, push, push here and there, and reminding you of the things that you ought to be doing. Why is that? Just because we're parents and we get to play the authority card? No. It's because we have these dreams and these goals for you. Truth is, God also has goals for us. You should know that uh, parents have uh, a number of goals for their kids, among them that they grow up, right? None of us hope that our 31-year-old children act like 3.1-year-old children. Oh, yeah, that's where I get the amens. Sure. <laughs> thanks, Lisa. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great theological truths. Grow up, kids, right? No one looked, ever looks at their little baby and says, she's fine just as she is. I hope she... I hope she never changes. I hope she always has to wear a diaper. I I hope that, that she always has to have someone clean her up. I hope she always cries herself to sleep at night and then cries me awake in the middle of the night. I hope she can never do anything to help herself, let alone other people. That'd be just fine. That's never any parent's goal. Parents have goals for their kids, and God has some for you. And today, I want to talk to you about one of God's goals for you, that you grow up in your faith. We're going to look at two passages of Scripture, and in each of them, I want to talk to you about what it, what it tells us about God's goal for us, a specific action we can take so that we can attain the goal, and then the results, what it will look like when it's actually happening in our lives so that we can know that we're growing in the faith. And the first passage is part of that passage that Lisa read to us earlier. And I would invite you please to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Lord, ultimately, this isn't respect for a book, this, this standing and bowing our heads. It's respect for you. And it's hope that you'll say something to us through the pages of this old book that we've read. You've done it countless times before. And we have every confidence that you'll do it again, but we do not take it for granted. We stand and bow before you in respect and in hunger. Feed us and fill us, we pray. Amen. First Peter chapter 2 Just verses 1 and 2. Remember, he's an old friend of Jesus, knew him very well, traveled with him daily for about three years. By the time he writes this letter, he disappeared off the New Testament stage for a matter of decades. And when he shows up, he's no longer that loudmouthed, brashed young man that we read about in the Gospels. He's one who has suffered for the faith. He's one who's planted many churches, and those people have begun to suffer for their faith in Jesus And he writes these words. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Uh, not this past week, but the week before, Noah, my oldest, and I took a a trip to Nashville, Tennessee. He was checking out a college there, and so we got up early in the morning, because if you're flying out of Lewiston, you're getting up early in the morning, and we got on a plane, and we had three flights to Nashville, and we had two flights coming home, and on every single one of them was a crying baby. (laughs) You're laughing because you weren't on the plane. I think I knew one of those crying babies. And so I was tempted to have a little bit of compassion. But there's this thing in my head whenever there's a crying baby on an airplane. And fortunately, at age 46, I've learned to restrain that thing because it wants to just look at that poor, helpless mom who is praying that the baby will be quiet. And I just want to say, give that kid a bottle and shut her up. And you do, too. That's where I should have got the amens, Lisa. Okay? So uh, as I was sitting there on the first flight of the day and the little kid got tuned up, I felt the uh, rising in me, and I realized two things. Number one, I'm a terrible human being <laughs> but, because I just wanted the kid to shut up. I really didn't care anything about the kid. I just, it was all about me. I realized I'm a terrible person. And as I prayed about that, I realized the second thing. And it's this. The point of the bottle has never been to pacify the baby, but to grow it up. I just wanted mama to stick the plug in there. That's not the point of the bottle. The point of the bottle is to to provide nutrition so that that baby can grow healthy and grow bigger. When we read uh, the Apostle Peter, he says, God has a goal for you. And that goal is that you grow up in your faith. You see those two words, so that? It tells us the reason. Something, whatever we read next, has a purpose. And the thing before it was all leading us there. He says, there's this thing that God wants for you. It's that you may grow up in your faith. Had this discussion a handful of times in recent days. How many many times does a person have to say yes to God in order to be saved? I think just one. How many yeses does it take to be a true disciple of Jesus? It takes at least one every day. It's it's this continual yes to God that takes us deeper into relationship with him that helps us realize, I don't know, I've been a Christian, let's see, 46, 39, 39 years now. It's the kind of walk that, that 39 years into your faith will help you realize, well, you are one selfish booger at 5.45 in the morning. God wants us to... Grow up in our faith, and if here's the problem, if it's only his goal, it's never going to happen. Growth will only take place in our lives if if the father's desire becomes our desire, and we set it as a goal for ourselves. So let's just uh, I'm, I'm going to make a certain assumption here today that the people of God, no matter their their previous growth, no matter how many years that they've walked with Him, have as a goal that that. They will give the father what he wants and invest in their own growth. I'm also going to make the assumption that you're not just doing it as, well, give God what he wants so we can get him off our back. But that the things that please the heart of God, the things that put a smile on his face, end up putting a smile on your face and end up pleasing your heart so that you too desire to become something that you are not yet, but could be. That version of you that God dreamed of when he dreamed you into existence long ago. God has a goal for you that you may grow up in your faith. Do you have the same goal for yourself? If so, then you're probably going to have to do something about it. Here's, you know, I'd hoped that God was just going to zap me. When I was younger, I hoped God was just going to zap me. The truth is, I still hope he'll zap me because zapping is easier than me doing something about my current condition. I pray uh, fervently and frequently that God will zap me. And he says, uh, how about we go for a walk together instead and start building some of those muscles that it takes to get there. And that's why when we look at each of these two passages, you're going to see that not only does God have a goal, but it's also going to take some action on our parts in order to get there. In this case, we read from Peter, and the the action, the thing that, that we will do in order to get what we hope for is this. He said crave spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk. Now, I struggle with this passage, and and here's the reason why. I don't drink milk, and I mean ever, as in it's been decades since I had any. I grew up milking on a farm, right? We had lots of it. And so uh, we, we drank it in uh, abundant supply. But then I became a distance runner. And as I was reading about distance running as a teenager, they talked about this burn that you would feel in your muscles. And that, that burn was uh, the, the product of lactic acidosis. And there was this little ding that happened in my head. Lactic. Milk. Lacto. Hmm. Maybe I shouldn't drink milk. And so when I was 15, I quit drinking milk. And um, I don't know why, but now I can't get it down to save my soul. Just so you know, between now and when I die, I'm never drinking any more milk. So when it says, crave pure spiritual milk, there's this thing in me that goes... And um, (laughs) I think um, he could have said, you know, iced tea, and I would have been on board. He could have said, crave dark, black coffee and I, it, I got an amen from Jeremy on that one, okay? So, yeah, you could have said all this. Could I have pure spiritual milk? And to me, I'm just uh, over here going, please, something else. But milk for a reason. Milk for a reason. It shows up here for a reason, and it's because that's how the babies begin. When the babies are born, they aren't strong. They're healthy because they've been in this... Incredibly protective, perfect place. But immediately upon their exit into this larger world, there are things that attack that baby's well-being, and somebody has to give that baby milk early on. And it has to be mama. It really needs to be mama. And if mama does, then all of a sudden, the baby's system does what it needs to fight off all the bad juju that's out there, and, and all of a sudden, the, the, this, the muscles begin to to grow stronger and everything on the inside works like it's supposed to, milk for the babies. Uh, just don't Google it, but, um, or do. You can Google image search um, um, seven up in baby bottles and you'll get to see all the horrible things that happen to babies when mama's them the things that they're not supposed to have. Give them things that they like that will pacify them and shut them up, but uh, it's milk that they need in order for their bodies to grow strong and healthy and to continue to develop. And because of that, Peter said, "Listen, guys, when you come to know Christ, it's not a quick fix. It's not an immediate there. You're all better. You're perfect and whole. It's a birth." And from this point forward, you're going to have to take the kind of nutrition that will actually help your spirits to grow and to mature. And he said, there's some pure spiritual milk that will do that. And he was talking to us about the scriptures themselves. It's kind of an interesting idea because Peter was writing the scriptures at the time and didn't really have a sense of, oh, I'm writing the Bible, but, but his people had scriptures that had nourished him when he was a child. I don't know if they had um, Torah quizzing, but Gina, you might want to look into it because it's a thing now that we've said it, right? Uh, I see the shirts already with the scroll. But uh, Peter was a, was a guy who was trained by his parents and by synagogue and then ultimately by Jesus. It was given the, the, the view of Old Testament scriptures, incomplete as they were, And still it nurtured him to the place of faith where he became one of the leaders in the faith. Pure spiritual milk. Now here's the reality. You may have to cultivate a taste for it. If I was ever going to become a milk drinker again, I would probably have to start slow. Take one slug of the stuff and choke it down. Tell myself milk does a body good. Wear a little milk mustache for a while. Come back to it Tomorrow. Maybe I'll start with some in my coffee. Right? Sometimes in life, there are things that are good for us, but we don't have much of a taste for them yet. I'm not saying we despise them, but we just haven't developed a taste for them yet, but we need to. Uh, Laura, I went to the grocery store with Laura the other day. It's, uh, it's a compromise, really. I want to spend time with Laura. I don't like to shop for groceries. But if, on my day off, I want to spend time with my wife, that's her grocery shopping day, so I tag along and I push the card at Costco. And there has been some kind of... um, um, I don't know, some people in high places colluding together to to, to make the world come to believe that Brussels sprouts are for human beings. (laughs) And it's working. Because all over Facebook and then everybody also tags uh, pictures from from Pinterest and puts them on Facebook, and all of the moms in the world have gotten together to try to make the rest of us eat Brussels stinking sprouts, because there's 18 million roasted Brussels sprouts recipes on the internet, and... I don't know, it was really just a couple of months ago. I came home for dinner. I'm always a little excited about what's for dinner. I walk in the house, and I'm like, that is not the smell I was hoping would greet me. <laughs> I walk into the kitchen. I continue now to feign excitement about what's for dinner. And I said, hey, babe. What is that? What is that? <laughs> And ding! The buzzer goes off, and Laura grabs the mitts and runs over and opens the oven, and she pulls out this this pan tray of roasted vegetables, and I quickly can identify the carrots, and what else is in there? And Brussels sprouts, that's it! Carrots and Brussels sprouts, what are you doing to me? There's these shriveled up things there, and tasted one. And she said, what do you think? And I just kept chewing. (laughs) And after I chewed it for a while, I realized it's not half bad. It's all bad. (laughs) Actually, it wasn't. It was was not half bad. And I think that's probably what I said, because we have this honest relationship here. I said, that's not what I said was that's not as bad as I expected it to be okay there's the truth now we've got a truthful relationship this way too I said it's not as bad as I expected it to be and so uh, I put some more on my plate trying to be a good example to my children and um, we sat at the table and they started and they started eating them like they liked them and so I ate a few more and I thought I can't believe this but I, I think I think now I'm actually okay with the Brussels sprouts. And, and there were a few left over, and I had them for lunch the next day. And I went, on day two, these, these, I think I kind of like them. And so now I have told Laura, put it in the rotation regularly. Apparently, I'm a Brussels sprouts guy now. <laughs> I told you guys this time last year about quinoa. And I've moved from that tastes like eating sawdust to one of my favorite things. Now I'm a Brussels sprouts guy. I'm growing. What do you know? More mature. Thank you. Yes. Now, uh, children and teens, you should be able to get a lot farther down the road by the time you're 46 than your dumb old pastor has. I can finally eat my vegetables. But the point that I'm making is this. I had to cultivate a taste for something that I knew was good. And just a little truth in advertising. Sometimes reading the Bible's boring. Sometimes it's offensive. There is stuff in there I don't want to tell to other people. There's stuff in there that's hard to read and understand. Hand of testimony. Anybody or is it just your pastor? Right. This stuff. It's hard reading some stuff in there that's great, but the great stuff I've read 800 times now, and so I have learned to continually cultivate a taste for that which can sustain and nurture me. I read from Genesis through Revelation and then I start over in Genesis and I read through to Revelation. Then I go to the beginning of the book and I read Genesis through Revelation to make sure I'm not just reading the parts that I do like and the parts that comfort me and the parts that make me feel all warm and fuzzy because there's things in there that challenge my faith. There's things in there that that I wrestle to the ground and that I have to let wrestle me to the ground. And I cultivate a taste for them by continuing to take them in. What's it going to take for you to grow up in your faith? He's he's provided this pure spiritual milk, and you're going to have to drink it. You're going to have to drink it until you like it, and and some days you're going to have to drink it because you know it's good for you. There's some results that will take place in your life once you actually start doing the stuff of, of drinking the pure spiritual milk on a regular basis. It's going to change you. It's going to change you from the inside out. And so the, the visible stuff is going to come a little bit down the road. But, but because God's not a jerk, spiritual truth number one, God's not a jerk. He doesn't, he doesn't make that delay years or decades in the making. But you do the thing inside. You take the, the pure spiritual milk inside. And in the fairly near future, you're going to begin to see some things change on the exterior in your life in the behavior department. In this passage that we read from Peter, he said that uh, certain things will begin to disappear from your life. One of them he mentioned was malice. You know what malice is? Malice is the hope that bad things happen to your enemies. Here's what I'm finding: making a bunch of trips from Genesis through Revelation, malice is disappearing in my life, and, and it it happened backwards. Instead of the, the, the evil uh, desire for bad things to happen to all of my enemies disappearing, I find myself having fewer enemies. I find that as I as I get older, there there are few pe- fewer and fewer people that I consider my enemies. When I was 20 years old, I had a bunch of them. Everybody who disagreed with me theologically. Everybody who disagreed with me politically. Everybody who was not a Kansas City Chiefs fan. Enemies, all of them. I'd fight over all that stuff. What I'm finding in my, what I hope are my middle years is that there are far fewer enemies. I found that I am able, with the help of God, to love people who disagree with me politically. I have found that I am able, with the help of God, to love deeply those who teach things that make me scratch my head. How can you get that from the Bible? I love Seahawks fans. It, um, <laughs> the wonders of God never cease. But what I'm finding is that there is less malice in my heart. God's working on that too, but he worked on it backwards where he just started giving me a great love for other people so that I have fewer and fewer enemies. If this trend continues, when I'm an old man, I might actually love everyone as the scriptures teach us to. Yeah. He said malice will disappear in your life if you, if you crave, teach yourself to, to want pure spiritual milk so that you take it in on a regular basis. He also said that uh, deceit will disappear from your life. You know what deceit is? It's outright lying, yes, but it's also the way that you hope people get tricked by you just narrowly avoiding lying. I didn't lie, what I said was, with the tone of voice, so that you would actually think the opposite and I could count myself as honest? No, that's deceit. Of course, lying will disappear from our lives. Uh, Peter said deceit will too, in the times where you just kind of try to scoot past lying. He said hypocrisy will disappear from our lives. That's intentionally being something other than what you say you are. I preached a sermon on this some time ago, um, Honestly, when I look back, I think it's one of the most important sermons I've ever preached in my life, and it's this. There's a difference between hypocrites and strugglers, okay? Strugglers are people who are trying but keep tripping and falling down in the faith. Hypocrites are people who are intentionally being something other than what they say they are. I hear people all the time say, church is full of hypocrites. That is not true. Church has a few hypocrites, Probably church is full of strugglers. That's who I experience when I walk in this door is people who say, I want to be like Jesus. But this week I failed about X days out of seven. And I came here not to pretend like I've got it all together, but I came here because I thought I might get some encouragement and some strength and some help from some other strugglers who've said, want to struggle together for another week? And it's why every time that you say to me, Pastor, I'm struggling with, and you name some sin, I'm going to say, good. Keep struggling. Don't give up. There's a real difference between strugglers and hypocrites and uh, nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us that the struggle is going to end but hypocrisy will disappear from our lives when we develop a craving for that pure spiritual milk that we take in. He also said that envy will disappear that is desiring blessings that God gave to others to the extent that you'd like to see them deprived of the blessings if you can't have them. He said slander would disappear. Slander means speaking evil of anyone. John Wesley, one of our forebears in the faith, wrote uh, this sermon called The Cure of Evil Speaking. And in it, he said, here's how you can tell if you're messing up in the the speech department. If you say anything negative about another human being, true or not, when they aren't present. You say anything negative about anybody else, true or not, when they are not present, that's evil speaking. It's just wrong to do it. And here, Peter says, that's going to, It's going to disappear from your life. Begin to when you develop a craving for the pure spiritual milk of God's word. It's not a complete list of the things that will disappear from our lives, but but these are certainly some indicators, some early indicators of spiritual growth in your life. But if that's the case, then we also need to take a look and be honest with ourselves and say, if these things are still present in my life, it's time to grow up. It's time for me to begin to do the things, to take the actions that will produce spiritual growth in my life so that these things can disappear. Well, yeah, Cliff, I know I need to grow up, and I'd like to, but, it, but I don't seem to be able to make it happen on my own. I know you can't, because I can't either. And the truth is, I can't preach some magical sermon that will make you grow up in your faith. Honestly, if you, if you listen to me preach for the next 30 years, I'm going to say the same things over and over again, okay? I'm going to pre- if, I, if I start coming up with new stuff, fire me, because I'm supposed to be preaching the ancient scriptures. None of those sermons is going to magically zap you, make you strong in your faith. It's going to take your work and that of God the Holy Spirit... You're going to have to let him do something in your heart that you haven't let him do yet. And you're going to have to take some discipline upon yourself that you probably haven't yet applied to yourself. Self-discipline, not not discipline from the church, like like a spanking from a parent. You're going to have to apply some self-discipline in your life and open your heart to the deeper cleansing of God's Holy Spirit if you're going to see some growth and maturity in your lives. You can't grow up on your own. I know that. So God took that into consideration and he made provision for some help for you. Let's read about it. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4 beginning with verse 11, which reads this way. This guy who's writing, this is the Apostle Paul. He was not one of Jesus' best friends. He was the ultimate anti-Christian in the first century. He was trying to stamp out Christianity. He was doing his very best to cut this thing off at the bud and make sure that it never grew. God tackled him one day, and when he tackled him one day, he convinced him of faith in Jesus. And then he spent all the rest of his life, one, trying to undo the damage that he had done, and secondly, trying to convince as many people as possible of the hope-filled life of following Jesus. Listen to what he wrote. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I have to read that again. That's really important. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that... So that what? Here's the purpose. That the body of Christ may be built up until we all, and all means all. Okay. So that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In near Peter Paul wasn't saying, I want you to be And from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Here we see the goal again. The goal is that that we will grow to become the mature body of Christ. The question is, how will it happen? What kind of action does it take? And as I read that passage, I come to understand that it's going to take the work of pastor and people together so that we can all mature. It's going to take me doing my part, continuing to study the scriptures so that I can teach them and hopefully teach them well. It will be my job as time goes on to make sure that, that the adults of this church are discipled well, that you have a path a known path, an understandable path from immaturity to maturity in Christ. The reason that we're uh, involved in a staff search right now is because we also need some folks who will oversee the business of getting children and teens from immaturity to maturity in Christ. It's the work of pastors, but also the work of people together that will result in maturity. Here's what I found out a long time ago. My arms are this long. Now, generally speaking, a person's uh, wingspan is identical to their height. So that makes mine, you know, 5'10 and a half when I was 20 and 5'10 now, and you know where this thing's going, right? Anybody remember the name of a great uh, heavyweight prize fighter, Muhammad Ali? You wanna know why Ali was so great? He had an eight-foot reach. Eight-foot reach. It meant that um, he could punch Dwayne Persoon in the nose from here, right back there. Okay? You want to get inside on Muhammad Ali? You better pack a lunch. It's a long walk. Out there, out there, out there. Held him out there. I wish I had long arms like, uh, like Muhammad Ali, but I don't. Mine are this long. You want to get discipled? Come get under him. That's as far as I can reach. Here's here's what, what I'm driving at. You can only disciple the willing. You can only disciple the willing. Pastors can have the greatest ideas and a bunch of lame ones. They can have these really fantastic programs and some really mediocre ones. And none of them will ever work for the people who don't show up. My arms are this long. The arms of your church are however long we can spread them together. But the truth is that we can only disciple the willing, those who come and get under our arms and begin the walk toward maturity together. It takes pastor and people working together so that we can mature. Here's what it will look like. Here's how you'll know that you're growing. I have this ridiculous, uh, I'm an idealist, just so you know. Uh, I used to think it was youthful idealism, and I'm not young anymore, and I'm still idealistic. So uh, it's like this. I have this goal for our church. It's that everyone will actively participate in some ministry that is aimed at maturing them or someone else. I'll just say it as plain as I know how. It's my goal that we will one day all be helping to provide ministry and have none that simply suck life out of the vine. Here's what it'll look like when, we, when we're growing. Each part does its work. That's, that's what Paul wrote. Each part does its work. So show up. The world is run by those who show up. You want to know who make, who make great discipleship programs? people who show up. You want to know who makes great Sunday school? The people who show up. You know who makes great children's church, great women's Bible studies? The people who show up. That's what makes them great. The world is is run by those who show up. Here are the statistics that I have to live with every day. The most recent statistics tell us that the average church member in America, not church attender, but the church member, those who have have examined the doctrines of their church uh, and said, I believe that enough that I'm going to make a commitment to worshiping regularly with this local body and making myself available for service and leadership. There's the definition of members. The average church member in America now shows up for two religious events, Every six weeks. Not one every three. All the mathematicians said you were supposed to reduce the fraction, Cliff. It's two every six weeks, and here's why. People do whatever they do, and a month later go, man, we haven't been to church in a month. Hey, Laura, when did your Bible study start? Four weeks ago. Oh, we better get there. and And they do for two weeks, and then it's, you know, Mother's Day, and... And the weather turns nice and, 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 and. It tells me that the best I can do from the pulpit is starve you to death slowly and painfully. I somehow was aiming higher than that. Here's how to get stronger. If you want to get stronger in your faith, you've got to think in terms of athletic training metaphor. And uh, in athletics, you don't get... You don't get stronger, faster, and better by doing less, <laughs> by, by, by trying less hard. I had kids. I, I trained distance runners uh, back in Connell, where, where Carter grew up, and I had kids that would uh, sign up to train under me. I was coaching middle distance, and so uh, as long as I could keep my eyes on them on the track, I could make them do exactly what I had designed, but when I sent them out on the road, I would find kids that were supposed to go for a three-mile run, and they'd run one block from the school and hide in the bushes. They wished they had run three miles. <laughs> and the second time they did it, I said, you don't want to be on the track team. So get off my track team. You're gone. Because you can't get faster and stronger by doing nothing. Lift more weights, run farther distance. It means this. Put, put some real effort instead of just going through the motions. I had kids who showed up every single day, but they never pushed themselves. You know what they got? Not fast, miserable. Because they're showing up and going through the workout. They were, they were taking the same number of steps as everybody else, but because they really didn't put their hearts into it, they stayed as slow as they were at the beginning, and they watched everybody else growing and becoming successful. And they got miserable instead of getting Stronger. So they're disappointed and they came to the place where they hated practice and they were disappointed on race day. No one can mature in their faith by becoming less frequent in attendance to worship. No one can, can, can grow in their faith by taking fewer Bible studies or spending less time in God's word. Just the facts. I promised you guys I'd tell it to you straight and it's what I'm doing today. Here's the fact. Disciples aren't born, they are grown And in the earlier stages of discipleship, we are formed by learning to take regular nutrition on our own and to work with others so that we can mature together. Next week, we're going to learn about some of the more challenging parts of discipleship. This was the beginner stuff today, guys, according to the scriptures. Next week, we're going to talk about some more challenging parts of the discipleship process that come on down the road a little bit because I think many of you are already there. But if God spoke to us today about one of the earlier stage discipleship issues, let's purpose in our hearts that we're gonna get on board with what he's trying to accomplish in our lives. let's talk to him about it right now. Stand with me, please. Lord, if there was anything in there for me, would you just highlight it in my thinking again right now? I'll listen for your voice. Is there some specific action that you would like me to take, Father? I listen for your voice. Lord, I give you thanks for your patience and I give you thanks for your plan. It somehow makes my heart very glad to know that you have a dream and a goal for me. That you're going to do your best to walk me toward it, to support me and and, and and nudge me and train me, challenge me so that I can get it. May your dreams for me become my own. I pray in your holy name, amen. My friends, go with the blessing of God and uh, would you do what Pam asked earlier? When you get in your cars before you leave, Would you just say a prayer for your church board because we're gonna meet now to, to discuss something very important about our future. Thank you.